0: Welcome to America's SNES related podcast, SNEScapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo library, three games at a time. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them. And now, here are your host and hostess, Steve Punk Link and Emmy
1: Zero. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it is it's is lovely to be here tonight with all of you people. What a beautiful audience. I am M0 and uh is, isn't this a beautiful audience, isn't it? I just love them.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is this is amazing. Uh, I'm Steampunk Link and uh wow, yeah, we should start every episode with fake audience applause like this it's,
1: it's a real boost to me uh to my confidence getting announced like that getting these canned cheers going uh it's just it's just fantastic uh well we are so happy to be here with you tonight Yeah I feel
0: invigorated after all this You know what I think maybe this is why like game show hosts just like stay the same age for decades at a time you know
1: I think so That we're drinking the blood of the youth which I'm I'm pretty sure is actually what Pat Sage actually does so you know
0: Oh come on now he, he, he's not Peter Thiel
1: Man live in a weird world where that's a thing that uh, I can make a joke about and then you can remind me of a real person (laughs) that actually does that.
0: Hey, everybody. Just a quick note. Just wanted to make sure we clear the air here, uh, since he is a very litigious person. Uh, As far as we know, Peter Thiel has not actually taken anyone's blood at this point. Up to now, he's merely expressed interest publicly in the possibilities of injecting himself with the blood of the youth to potentially increase his own lifespan. So... Just making sure we're clear on that. He's not actually done it. He's just talked about it. And uh, also reminding you that all billionaires are bad people. Oh, God. Oh, no. What have I done? I've triggered the alarm. It's the sound of the crybabies who are going to get upset with me for bringing up my leftist politics into an arena that they perceive to be apolitical, as if anything could be. Uh, hang on. It'll tire itself out in just a moment. Ah, That's better. Okay. On with the show. It's almost like this, uh... Hasn't been a great decade. But hey, you know what? By the time this episode goes
1: out, it's a new decade we're in the 2020s now turn the page let's write a new story this time one that that doesn't involve a, a vampire man using all of his money to financially back a former professional wrestler in a lawsuit that destroys an entire media company
0: yeah that would be great yeah oh no we're getting politics in our video games folks Pretty oh, politics no. in our video games oh no oh, we're canceled and hey speaking of canceled roger clemens mvp baseball is up first it
1: sure is uh i want to cancel this one right now yeah well i feel like i feel like roger clemens has done something to get canceled i i cannot remember what so i was reading his wikipedia page to remind myself of things about roger clemens uh he was accused of using anabolic steroids later in his career oh okay and uh he did have some spousal abuse allegations made against him maybe not great maybe not great i mainly what do you think about roger clemens in relation to the simpsons episode with the softball team roger clemens clucking all the while uh he was the one who got hypnotized to think he was a chicken so he couldn't participate in uh in the big softball game at the end of the episode
0: oh yeah yeah oh i love that episode you know i loved that episode as a kid it was because um ozzy smith was in it too he was he was my hero back then really well, I mean, I grew up in St. Louis. He was always around, always just like just seeming like the the genuinely nicest guy you could imagine. Yeah,
1: unfortunately, Ozzy doesn't have, a, as far as I know, doesn't have a baseball game on the Super Nintendo, but Roger does, and we are gonna we're gonna talk about it because we both played it.
0: Yeah, we should. Sure um, well, I mean, we we both played it.
1: Well, we both we, we did lay hands on the controller and try to <laughs> try to play it.
0: Let's say that. Yes, we, we we laid hands. There was a laying of hands on controllers. After that, we're going to talk about RoboCop 3, and then we're going to talk about Wheel of Fortune. Yay! Ooh, love it. Uh, absolutely love it. Yes, yeah, so let's just get straight into it. Let's talk about that baseball.
1: Let's step up to the, the batter, the batting box. The yeah, yeah, now. yeah. Yeah,
0: those are both both real baseball terms, I'm pretty sure. Cool, cool. So neither Ryan Sandberg nor Nolan Ryan hit it out of the park, let's say, with their Super Nintendo-licensed baseball games. So Roger Clemens stepping up to the plate, and um, yeah, he's not going to do a whole lot better.
1: No, uh, he's not. So do you want to talk about uh, who made this game and... You know, just give us a little bit of background on it before we get into actually discussing the game itself.
0: Yeah, I would love to get into the background of it, because this is the first game we've talked about published by LJN. They are uh, a pretty infamous company in the history of video games. Uh, They are well-known for publishing licensed garbage on the NES, with licenses like X-Men and Back to the Future and Nightmare on Elm Street being churned into nearly unplayable games. You may know them from, say, uh, internet personalities like... The Angry Video Game Nerd, saying that they are perhaps the worst video game company in history.
1: Which is pretty patently not true, I think, but, you know, you can see how somebody could get whipped up about this, because they did make some some real, some real rough games.
0: They definitely made games that are as bad as folks say they are, and, and that, frankly, make a mockery of the concept of Nintendo's seal of quality, but... I will say that they do have a few redeemable aspects. Like, for example, their version of Nightmare on Elm Street was one of the few side-scrolling games on the NES to make use of Nintendo's little-used multi-tap accessory. So you could actually play it four-player co-op, which is... Kind of neat, even though the game itself isn't that great. The very often ridiculed Friday the 13th on the NES.
1: Which I actually think is kind of a neat game, personally. Yeah,
0: it is a mess mechanically, but conceptually, it's got a few unique ideas that are made more impressive by the fact that it's really the only game that I can actually call an effective horror game in the entire NES library. Like nobody was making horror at that time in video game format on Nintendo systems. Certainly
1: not in America. I mean, we in, in Japan there was stuff like Sweet Home, but yes, when we're talking about the american market yeah it's a very very empty field
0: yeah but i think there were some cool ideas in there that you know again like you know are are marred by bad gameplay but are genuinely fascinating LJN was a toy company that was founded in 1970 by Jack Friedman. Friedman got the uh, company off the ground thanks to a generous investment from his former employer, Norman J. Lewis. And you can probably guess where the name of the company comes from now. Yeah. (laughs) The company was purchased by MCA in 1985. And MCA's plan was to use the toy company as a way to sell merchandise based on its properties. And MCA had things like – I think one of their subsidiaries at the time was Universal Studios.
1: So – that's how you get like the Back to the Future game. Yeah, you
0: get things like Jaws, which was uh, one of LJN's first games.
1: Yeah, which also I personally think is kind of a cool game. Uh, yeah. It doesn't work that well, but I think it's got neat ideas. Seeing LJN as a toy company helps make their video game output make more sense, because it's really all over the place and not really at all dictated by quality. It's just dictated by putting a thing out there that people can buy. And actually, as a toy company, I think LJN made some pretty well-regarded toys. You know, they made some high-quality action figures. They made a bunch of stuff. Uh, It's just that their games were not really thought of as anything different than the toys, as far as I can tell. So there wasn't really an attempt at at enforcing, like, a house style or, like, a a particular level of quality. It just sort of—sometimes the games ended up better than others, depending on who they had contracted out to make the game and how good those ideas were.
0: Obviously, they they had access to universal licenses, but it also just kind of maybe gave them enough weight to sort of grab a bunch of licenses that people were interested in. So, like, the first three games that LJN made came out in 1987, and that was the aforementioned Jaws, the Karate Kid, which was not a universal movie, that was Paramount, and... A game called gotcha which was based on one of their toy lines and now this is also interesting because um you were mentioning toys before ljn's toy division was actually also a bit of an issue for mca and uh especially in the late 80s so i actually have here a uh A quote from an LA Times article that ran in 1990. I'm just going to quote this directly. MCA has been plagued by the performance of its LJN unit since 1987 when a faulty toy gun manufactured by LJN Shot down MCA's profit, which plunged 79.5% to 8.1 million in the second quarter of 1987. Net income was hurt in part by a $35 million charge that MCA took to write down the value of LJN's inventory of paint shooting gotcha toy guns.
1: So, were those the guns that were like too realistic looking? Like, the ones that just looked like real guns. So they ended up uh, causing a lot of, like, terrible, tragic incidents with police and also, like, being used in actual robberies.
0: I don't know because the article didn't elaborate on what the problem was with those guns or, like, what made them faulty.
1: Because, yeah, folks, if you wonder why toy guns, including the Zapper for the NES, are, like, bright, unrealistic colors, there was a a problem with way too realistic-looking toy guns in, in the 80s.
0: This all led to uh, Acclaim purchasing LJN from MCA in 1990, and it wasn't long after that that LJN became strictly a video game developer uh, as its toy businesses were all dissolved. The company folded into Acclaim completely by 1995, and I think that the LJN label popped up in some Acclaim release stuff later on here and there, but for the most part, LJN was uh, completely gone by the mid-90s. And given that listeners of this show already know how the acclaim story ended, needless to say, LJN is no more. So,
1: who actually developed this game for LJN? I believe this was actually a Sculptured Software game made under contract for LJN.
0: You are correct; it was uh, it was Sculptured Software that developed it. Yes.
1: So th- we've talked about Sculptured Software a few times before, I believe. Yeah,
0: it but. was uh, definitely another another one of Acclaim's acquisitions. So basically, we're dealing with two different companies that would end up under the acclaim label uh, before too long here
1: so let's let's talk a little bit about the game itself i guess So, this is a baseball game. We've played many baseball games for the Super Nintendo uh, before. And this one has some real differences from those. Uh, This one is uh, trying to do something pretty different with its presentation. And uh, I'm just going to say, I don't think it works at all. I think
0: that presentation-wise, I like the dynamic camera angles, but yeah, it does make the problem that I've already talked about where it is just hard for me to wire my brain to push a direction on the D-pad that doesn't directly correspond to what I'm seeing on screen to throw the ball in a certain way. This is made even more of an issue here because the camera is constantly changing perspective, so... You could literally end up like you know pressing the D pad in the opposite direction of where the ball actually needs to go to get it to hit its mark. I I do like that. I was reading a fact on this game, like just hitting A by default will always throw the ball to first base if you don't press anything on the D pad with it, which is kind of nice. That
1: is kind of nice, yeah.
0: Okay, I don't have to think about that, but it's still like, why couldn't they just have prompts on screen, just like little arrows above? All of your basemen letting you know what direction you need to press the D-pad in to throw to them.
1: That would be great. That would be really good. So, basically, the way this game works is that this game is all about kind of dynamic camera angles. Unlike literally every other baseball game we've played on the system so far, this game does not do kind of like an overhead perspective of the entire field. What this game does is switch camera angles to, uh, you know, an angle that kind of centers whatever part of the field the ball is currently in. So, you know, if you hit the ball into the outfield, you suddenly get an angle like behind you know the outfielders uh, with you know where you can kind of move around to to try to catch the ball. If you throw it to a particular plate, you get an angle from behind that plate or to the side of it. And the overall effect of this, for me at least, was that I. Never had a clear sense of the geography of the field or what part of it I was looking at. Uh, it was more or less impossible to actually play the game of baseball with the way, for me at least, for the, with, with the way this game presents it. Yeah, I I just had a bad, bad time actually trying to play this one. This
0: game is pretty lacking in modes, I think. It's got your standard exhibition and full season modes, and you can resume a season with the password, which is good, so you don't have to play 33 games in one sitting, because no one would ever do that. But there's there's no watch mode, so you can't just send two AI teams against each other for one thing. But uh, the limitations don't stop there. There's also, I just felt like a real limitation in how I could throw the ball. And because whenever you start a game, whenever you start an exhibition match, I should say, you're always playing as the home team, so you're always batting second. So you always have to pitch first, and I just I couldn't ever reliably get people struck out. Like I, ju- you know, because I felt like you know I, I didn't really have a whole lot of options as far as like fastballs and other kinds of crazy pitches. You know, I could basically either pitch. In the strike zone or out of the strike zone. And, you know, the players were usually smart enough to not swing at pitches that weren't in the strike zone. So.
1: Right. I walked so many players in this one just because I could not control the ball well enough to even throw it towards the batter. Like that's that's how bad this was for me. I, I do just want to say also, I love the fact that this game has an options menu and if you go into the options menu, literally the only option is music on or off. Yes, I saw like, that too. Like yeah. why is that on its own menu? That could just be where the the menu item to go into the options menu is. It's so weird. But yeah, so so this game is is pretty threadbare and uh I I just I don't like the way it sets up the visual dynamic of the play field, like, at all. I think the graphics are pretty good, actually. The players are nicely detailed. They have some good animations. Yeah. But I don't think any of it really is that distinctive, or none of it really pops, which is a shame, because the one thing you could probably hope for with using the camera angle setup that this game does is that at least everything would look really cool and it kind of just doesn't.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to say something that might get people a little bit mad at me, but I did not even have the patience to try to get three outs and start batting, so I don't even know what batting is like in this game.
1: Unfortunately, I did the same thing. I was not able to get far enough through even a, a single inning to start batting. So, I, yeah, like I said, I found this game barely playable in in just like the most basic way.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not crazy about this one. Honestly, like this is the kind of game that really makes me start to wonder if we should just start skipping the sports games. I I don't think we will yet.
1: The, the thing that's ironic is that even though this game is bad enough that I had kind of a similar feeling, the fact that it is actually so different in the way it works than any other baseball game we played so far kind of makes me not want to skip sports games. Cause what if we find one of these that's really different and also good? Like, you know, we talked a lot when we were going through kind of that slew of baseball games that like nobody had really sort of cracked how to do this type of game that well on the system. And, you know, I, I'm kind of curious about whether we're going to get there eventually with some, you know, kind of experimental setup like what this game has. Uh, it is just a real shame that this one does not work at all. I'm
0: cautiously optimistic that we'll find one that really breaks it wide open and is more friendly even to, you know, like non-sports people like us to the point where like we can kind of appreciate it even if we still, you know, like aren't huge fans of it but yeah this isn't that and i mean i guess you know expecting that from ljn is probably a pretty big ask
1: well do you have anything else you wanted to mention about this one or uh, did you want to go ahead and, and start looking at where we're going to Place this on our list.
0: No, I guess my parting words for this one are that I'm glad this was our first LJN game because talking about LJN gave me a lot more stuff to look into and research than the actual game itself. So we mentioned Ryan Sandberg and uh, the other one, Nolan Ryan, earlier. Yeah, so their games are sitting at number. Let's see here, fifty seven for Nolan Ryan and fifty nine for the for Superbases Loaded, which you know had Re- Ryan Sandberg on the cover. Oh, also of note, if, if anybody was curious about it, uh, no, this doesn't have any other uh, players or any other Major League Baseball license attached to it. You were saying you think this might be the worst baseball game that we've played so far.
1: I, I certainly found this the least playable. I will say that. I,
0: I think Super Bases Loaded is right now the lowest game that we have as yes. far as baseballs concerned at 59 out of 80. 80 games on this list. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess Super Bases Loaded had that weird thing where it's trying to encourage you to just, you know, play a perfect game. You know, which is kind of a, a different sort of gimmick for baseball.
1: I mean, it didn't work very well. Yeah,
0: I mean, like, I don't know if that's what people want out of their baseball game. Super
1: Bases Loaded is okay at what it is, but it, it also did have issues where it was it was pretty hard to make your team do what they wanted you to do, which uh, I would probably give it a slight edge just because at least the playing field was more comprehensible to me than the one in uh, Roger Clemens is. But, you know, that that doesn't mean that it was really an easier game to play in a lot of cases. No, I, I think Super Bases Loaded gets an edge over this because I was able to play more of it successfully without just getting, like, horrendously frustrated. But I also don't think that Super Bases Loaded is, like, so much better than this that it, it kind of blows this one out of the water. Uh, but yeah, I, I won't... I, I I have to be honest, I really didn't like this game at all. I mean,
0: I will say, like, at least I actually got to the batting in Super Bases Loaded. So I guess I, I really can't argue with you there. And in fact, like, really, I'm kind of looking down lower now, like... I'm looking at like World League soccer, which was sixty okay, two, That was I think the is a very
1: very basic first soccer game that we played. Yeah.
0: And honestly, like but I mean that game was bare bones, but it was functional. Going
1: a little bit lower, actually, I would maybe look kind of in the like Facebook two thousand Gary Kitchen super battle tank arena. Where it's like a game that you know technically these controls do work, but the kind of the overall setup for it is is pretty unfriendly uh, to the point where it does sort of get in the way of of being able to play it very well. Um, I guess that's more the, the the problem with baseball than it was Gary Kitchen. Where Gary Kitchen, it, there was just a bunch of stuff that neither of us liked about it. But yeah. um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess that I would say actually looking at looking at at this part of the list as a whole, probably this game is, is better thought out than clue. I might give it an edge over clue just because you can play this uh and not have to do a bunch of like real world shenanigans to make sure the game still works, you know the way it's intended.
0: I don't know. I mean, like as we were talking about it, I was kind of thinking more like between Facebook two thousand and Gary Kitchen Super Battle time. I'm
1: good with that. Uh, I mean, I am I am okay with that. You know, at least Clue I liked looking at it more.
0: Yeah, and I think Baseball Two Thousand was maybe a little bit more ambitious than
1: yeah. This game, I, I agree. Yeah. So do you want to do you want to do that and put uh, put put uh, Roger Clemens MVP Baseball at number sixty six. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, uh, dubious congratulations to Roger Clemens, MVP Baseball. Uh, you are now in uh, in the middle of a bad game sandwich with Baseball 2000 and Gary Kitchen's Super Battle Tank War in the Gulf. Roger Clemens goes in at number 66 on our list.
0: Yeah, uh, Roger Clemens, I think you canceled and you benched. You benched, boy but anyway so okay so there we go we've got a new worst baseball game the the absolute opposite direction we were hoping that video baseball would be going yes
1: uh uh, as
0: we continue on and and yet um no they're just 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 bad so speaking
1: uh, of bad speaking of bad yeah yeah, we did the same transition
0: we sure did (laughs) we got we got robocop 3
1: We got Robocop 3, which is an ocean... Uh, Published and developed game based on the 1993 movie RoboCop 3. I did not realize that until you mentioned it to me that this game came out like more than a year, right? Before the movie it is tied to did. Yeah,
0: I was trying to do some research on that to figure out how it worked out like that, but I did not find anything kind of explaining why this game came out so much sooner than the actual movie did. It's
1: weird because as far as I can tell, um, so I have not seen the movie RoboCop three, but I I was reading the Wikipedia article about it. Judging from what I see in the game, uh, it does actually reference a lot of the like characters and settings and stuff that are in the movie. So like this isn't just like a random you know tie in RoboCop game that they they put the name RoboCop three on. This is actually based on that movie, but it came out very far ahead of it. So uh, that is odd. Also this game is not very good.
0: <laughs> the game is not very good. Although I mean like judging from review scores, uh this uh RoboCop 3 currently has a 3% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um maybe this is So
1: the movie is also not very good. Yeah, maybe this is the game that that movie
0: deserved. Maybe maybe the game was an omen. So uh yeah, just another quick RoboCop 3 fact for you. So when this movie left theaters it ended its run earning 10.6 million domestic uh how much do you think this movie costs to make?
1: Uh you know, I would I would guess more than that. Probably twice as much as that, maybe? I don't know. A little
0: more. How about twenty two million dollars? Ooh, yeah. so
1: it was way it was deep in the hole. So Robocop three, uh the movie is is sort of where Robocop ended as a movie franchise. It was A pretty bad failure in a lot of ways. It did not have the original actor who played RoboCop in the first two movies, Peter Weller. And the violence in it was toned down a lot to appeal to more of a family audience, which if you've seen the original RoboCop, it's an incredibly uh, violent movie. The original cut of the, the first RoboCop was rated X. Uh, which is like the predecessor to the NC-17 rating, solely because of its amount of violence. So that's that's quite a change. RoboCop three was was co-written by. Frank Miller, the famous and, and also you know infamous comic book writer who did kind of the grim and gritty revamp of Batman in the 80s. He did the grim and gritty revamp of Daredevil in the 80s. And uh, these days, mostly known for being just like a crazy racist, basically. But he did write a version of this movie that apparently was not uh, very similar to what ended up on screen. And uh, yeah, this this game is based on whatever that final movie ended up being. We've talked about how uh, licensed games on the system are not great for the most part so far. Uh, we've had Home Alone. We've had The Rocketeer. And uh, this, I think, kind of slots in nicely with those two. Uh, it is not... On the good side, you know, with the other Ocean game that we've played so far, The Addams Family. Yeah,
0: honestly, like, you know, what I was talking before about some of the licensed Drek that LJN put out there, this is exactly the sort of thing that you would expect from LJN. And, and you know, the, the kind of thing that people would be saying, like, oh my god, this game is garbage, it has almost no redeeming qualities. But obviously, you know, this one's a, this is an Ocean joint, not LJN, but it, it really is that bad. This is a 2D side-scrolling shooter.
1: And with some light platforming. With some
0: light platforming. Oh, and apparently a few uh, vertically scrolling shooting stages as well that... I never got to because I never finished the first level of this game.
1: Nope, neither did I. The movement speed is is incredibly slow, which I guess is kind of appropriate for Robocop because he's kind of a big clunky cyborg man who doesn't move very fast. But in this case, it is just dreadful to play. He can jump. Uh, you have to jump, in fact, a number of times in this game, uh, sometimes because there's platforms, but sometimes also just because there's boxes in the middle of the stage that you have to jump over for seemingly, I think, no reason other than just to give you something else to do. You have a gun with a few different alternate guns that you can switch to, all of which take ammo, and a very useless punch that you can use when all of the guns run out.
0: So I was looking this one up, no one ever bothered to write a fact for this game. I cannot blame them. I was able to unearth an instruction manual, though. But anyway, so this game does, you know, it starts out as a scry- side-scrolling level with uh, w- where you have a gun that can be fired in front of you, or diagonally, or above you.
1: With different buttons, also. Yeah. For some reason, you have to press a different button to fire above you. Yeah.
0: Um, so collecting a power-up with a P on it will give RoboCop a new weapon. And the, the way that that's done is a little bit weird, too, because it's not just like you pick up new guns, but it's... You pick up the power up and you get whatever the next gun is in the sequence. So if you just have your regular gun, you get. A three-way shot. If you've got the three-way shot, then you also earn a laser pistol. If you've already got the laser pistol, then you also earn something else. I don't I don't remember.
1: It's like a flamethrower, I think.
0: Yeah, it sounds right. But yeah, like you said, all of them require ammo. Uh, there are ammo power-ups littered throughout the stage, but I believe they will only give you ammo for whatever weapon you have equipped when you pick it up. Uh, so another thing that you talked about, the punch. Punching is almost useless for, among other things... Collision in this game is a nightmare. Like, enemy sprites can go through RoboCop, occupying the same space that he does. And if that happens, you can't hit them with your bullets or your punches. They don't technically connect with the enemies, so you have to move out of the way before you can do any damage to them. And
1: all the sprites in this game are big, too, so that's pretty easy to do. You know, RoboCop's big, the enemies are mostly about his size, if not larger. Uh, Yeah, it's it's really cramped feeling, which what you're talking about does not help with that.
0: RoboCop can duck under some enemy gunfire, but he'll also need to jump over some enemy bullets because there'll be some enemies that are just kneeling and firing at you and you can't duck under those. Enemies frequently fire at you before you actually fully see them on the screen. So, you know, I kind of found like I was doing this balancing act of trying to progress through the level while shooting a lot, but not so much that I'm using up all of my ammo, you know, and I found that I, what I had to do is really just move through the level very, very slowly and just kind of say, like, okay, is there a guy in in the window over there? Can I get into a position where I can shoot him before he starts shooting at me? You know, and just kind of only move, like, a little bit at a time just to make sure that, you know, I'm not getting myself into a situation in which I'm just bombarded by people and have to take damage because health power-ups are pretty few and far between. There's also some strange pod enemies that shoot out little homing missiles at you that are almost impossible to avoid taking damage from... Once they're on the screen.
1: And only possible to hit with one of the upgraded weapons, like the the three-way shot. Yeah, Uh, You cannot hit those with your regular gun.
0: Really, this game just came down to just like an exercise in patience for me, where it's just like, okay, do I have the patience to just move a little bit at a time, shoot the enemies, move forward, and just be really, really careful? Because I mean, like... He's friggin' Robocop. You want to just go in there guns blazing, but you can't do that because you'll run out of either health or ammo way too quickly.
1: Basically, if you want to know what this game kind of feels like to play, imagine imagine a game that is where the levels are set up like a Contra game, but your character moves like... Simon Belmont from Castlevania.
0: That's a that's a really that's sort
1: of what we're talking about, and it's a bad combination. Yeah, a really bad combination. That's a
0: really good analogy. Actually, that is a lot. What this feels like, these levels just go on and on and on. They are so long. I started getting bombarded by people who were coming at me on motorcycles that I just you know did not have enough time to react to the first time I encountered them. You know, but I, you know, after some practice, I finally got to a point where I could get through this part of the level consistently, and then it throws in platforming challenges at you, where if you fall off the platform, it's just an insta-kill. The level does not have a checkpoint system, so I had to just go all the way back to the beginning, slog my way through it again, just to get to that point again, hoping I could maybe make a little bit more progress. But because it doesn't just checkpoint you there... I didn't get enough time to actually practice that or get a handle on it. So it's also like, hey, do you want to get through this challenging part? Well, you need to get through this really boring part first, and you have to do it every single time you even want to attempt it. It's awful.
1: It's very bad. And yeah, the game isn't really, it's not attractive looking. The sprites are big, but they don't really animate much or have any personality. The game uses one background music track for the entire game. Every level has the same music. Just about the only thing, honestly, that I can say in this game's favor is that I like the sound effect for RoboCop walking. Yeah. It sounds good. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's the only thing, honestly, that I can give this game credit for, because it is dull and tedious, really hard, and just just a slog in in basically every possible
0: I way. truly despise this game, and I don't think anybody should ever subject themselves to it. It is it, it is just really bad, and I think with that um, we can probably start looking at the list.
1: We, I think we can, and uh, I, I I think we should start basically right at not right at the bottom, but really near the bottom. Uh, I am looking at the Rocketeer and RPM Racing.
0: Yeah, I I think I am too, because I'll be honest with you. You know, you were comparing this to like Home Alone and the Rocketeer earlier, which I I think is a I think that's a pretty good place to slot it between, because I don't think I liked this game more than Home Alone.
1: No, I didn't either. Now, here's the thing. I actually still don't think this is quite as bad as the Rocketeer, because the Rocketeer started with an unwinnable, really lengthy race that was longer than it ever possibly should be. And at the very least, I don't think Robocop Gets off on quite as bad of a foot as that, but it's still very bad.
0: Yeah, no, no. That's why I was saying, like, I think it definitely belongs somewhere between Home Alone at 78 and the Rocketeer at 80 because, yeah, I agree – It's worse than Home Alone, but is definitely better than the Rocketeer. So I guess really the question is, does this belong above or below RPM Racing at 79? I'm
1: going to say my initial thought, tell me if you disagree with this, is that it probably belongs below RPM Racing, because at least that one was trying to do something a little bit different with the graphical modes that it used. Um, Whereas this isn't even trying to do that. Uh, I think it's about as unattractive, but it's, it's somehow even less ambitious than RPM racing was.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've gone back to that well a lot, and there's a part of me that says like, I think we've used that maybe as an excuse a little bit too much, but on the other hand, like, there's only two games below it on this list, so clearly we haven't. Right. So I do think I am kind of in agreement with you, because I think I respect RPM racing more than I respect this game.
1: I mean, if anything, I would say that probably RPM racing is also a little bit more enjoyable than this. That's not saying much because uh RPM Racing is still something where I couldn't finish a single race in it because of the way that game manages like damage and uh and all of that. But yeah, you know, I do think it's it's got a little bit more going for it than RoboCop 3 does.
0: Yeah, uh, agreed. I I think I am okay with RoboCop being the new 80? Does that make it the new 80? 80. Wow. Yeah, I'll
1: make it the new number 80 game on our list, RoboCop 3. RoboCop 3, you're fired. Yeah,
0: yeah. Congratulations, RoboCop 3. Top 80 game, I guess.
1: I would not buy that for a dollar.
0: Is that a quote from, from RoboCop?
1: Here's the thing in RoboCop where there's this really terrible puerile tv show that uh shows up a bunch of times where like there's this dopey looking guy who I, I i guess is like having like sexy escapades with these different women and he's like i'd buy that for a dollar oh oh right um, and then they used
0: it in smash tv
1: yeah they used it in smash tv actually That's so right.
0: yeah 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 so, all right well yeah well anyway i let let this be a reminder to everybody uh robocop number 80 um cops robotic or otherwise are never your friends that's all i got
1: yeah it's good That's good
0: well, okay well uh, uh i guess we'll go from our uh sexy escapades to more sexy snescapades oh yeah and uh we've got uh what is um kind of ridiculously the best game on the list today.
1: wouldn't have thought this going in but uh it's wheel of fortune folks wheel of fortune
0: yeah uh who doesn't love wheel of fortune or uh, uh wheel as its friends call it i guess these days i don't remember that being a, a nickname for that show back when i watched it as a kid i remember everybody always called it wheel of fortune is that is that a more recent thing
1: i guess it must be because i don't really remember that either in, in our household generally the less well-liked of the two-pack that uh included jeopardy and wheel of fortune which would Air in the same hour on TV uh, where we lived, uh, you know, we were really there for Jeopardy, but uh, Wheel of Fortune was was always a good time to sit and watch. You know, either before or after that, I don't really remember what order they came Wheel in. Wheel of Fortune
0: was was kind of family time at uh, my household when I was a really little kid, and then I think as I got older and actually started knowing some of the answers to Jeopardy questions, that one became a little bit more interesting to me, but. Yeah, um, Wheel of Fortune, as you said, a very long running show. It's actually been around since 1975, but but really got cooking with the uh, syndicated version's debut in 1983. And that version still runs to this day and is still hosted by the original host and hostess. Pat Sajak and Vanna White. Pat Sajak, with uh, Bob Barker retiring a few years back, is now the longest running host of any game show.
1: Wow, yeah. Um, okay.
0: There have been over 7,000 episodes of the show taped, and the show has spawned 60 international adaptations. It is a very popular show as well. Yeah.
1: And, uh, yeah, it's interesting here, actually. Uh, so I, I noticed that Vanna White is featured very prominently in this game. Pat Sajak, not at all. You know, um, I, I find that interesting because, like,
0: uh, that was a thing that would happen with a couple of versions of Wheel where, uh, Vanna White would actually kind of get, you know, like the, the big credit on the cover and not Pat Sajak. Yeah. Um, when you know which is kind of funny because you know given the actual show Vanna White's role is is pretty you know is is frankly just kind of to be there you know and
1: yeah um, yeah
0: um, so you know like on the one hand like it's it's kind of neat that you know Vanna White would often get to be the more prominent figure in these video game adaptations but for this game in particular I don't know if her presence here adds a whole lot to the proceedings. Um, So this is um, one of many versions of Wheel of Fortune. A whole bunch of systems have had Wheel of Fortune games up to this point. Uh, The NES, DOS, Atari ST, Commodore 64, Apple II, probably more that I'm not thinking of right now. Um, And most of those, if not all of those, came to us courtesy of Game Tech, which was based out of North Miami Beach. And the studio started out in nineteen eighty seven as a subsidiary of a country called IJE, a company which, according to Moby Games, distributed pre recorded children's entertainment products, whatever that means.
1: <laughs> okay. I do not know what that means at all. Are we talking like Teddy Ruxpin stuff or Well
0: that was World of Wonder, so it definitely wasn't that like maybe like like one of those Teddy Ruxpin offshoots, like um, Yeah, yeah. Like what was the um, what was the thing that that would quiz you with cassette tapes?
1: Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember what it was called, uh, but yeah, maybe that or like those those children's storybooks that would come with a cassette tape, where it would like read the cassette. You'd put that in, and it would like read along with the kid. Or Possibly,
0: yeah. But uh, in any case. Oh, uh, 2XL. That was the robot I was thinking of. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay, good job.
0: Um, game Tech had the rights to distribute electronic games based on Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. And in the late 80s and early 90s, most of their output were games based on those and other game shows like Press Your Luck and Double Dare. Uh, they also worked with other licenses like Fisher Price and adaptations of board games like Sorry and Payday. Uh, later on, they would develop, among other things, their very own very strange fighting game franchise called Brutal. Oh!
1: yeah, I remember that one.
0: Yeah, and we we will get to that <laughs> in a future episode. So anyway, back to this version of Wheel. It does the job. It ticks most of the boxes that you would expect from a game based on Wheel of Fortune. Uh, you can play up to three players, and up to three of those characters can be AI-controlled, I believe. So I think you can actually have just the AI going at it if you wanted to, I think. I didn't actually try it with this one. That's usually, like, one of the first things I look for, obviously. Uh, but,
1: you know. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Uh, but anyway, you know, Wheel of Fortune being as popular as it is, nobody listening to this needs me to explain to them how that game works.
1: No, yeah, uh, that one, You, if you don't know, you can look that up, but I bet you know.
0: Yeah, so basically this game, you know, lacks like bonus prizes that were um, available for the players to win if they landed on them during certain rounds. The, the, the actual bonus round at the end plays out mostly the same way I remember it playing uh, back in the day with the player picking a mystery prize to be revealed upon the round's end and getting to pick three consonants in a vowel on top of R-S-T-L-N-E, which would be uncovered by default. But th- there's things that bug me about this version of the game in particular. So I owned Wheel of Fortune on the NES when I was a kid. like I think like the original version because there were a couple of them and i just remember that game being a lot more lively than this one um there was more music more pleasant sound effects in that version um interestingly enough i recently watched um like long plays if if you want to call them long plays of both the nes and super nes versions of the game and Rare is credited on the NES version as being responsible for the music. Okay. So that might be a reason why the production values were a lot better in that one.
1: Yeah, because th- this is a very bare-bones game, the Super Nintendo version. is; uh, It doesn't have music during the rounds, and... You get some some digitized Vanna White voice samples, I guess Would you like to play against the computer uh, that sounds super robotic like it sounds really really cut up and, and not not very it's kind of cool that the voice is there but it's not convincing like at all
0: yeah and I mean like in, in the silence and you know it just it doesn't really work as well for me and because like most of what she says is choose a letter <laughs> you don't need to be told that you know this is Wheel of Fortune you know what to do. <laughs> version also felt a lot better paced. And I think a big reason for that is that the NES version didn't have, like, player avatars for the contestants. This one does, and it just feels like it breaks up the game, because you get this weird fade in and out where you see the
1: contestants. Yeah, and you have to press a button to move on from it. Like, every round, every spin is broken up between choosing whether you want to spin, buy a vowel, or solve the puzzle. And then if you spin... You get the wheel moving, and then you get a cut to the player avatars, and then you get a cut back to the board, and you have to press buttons to go through each of those. And it's it's awkward. It feels kind of a little bit too tedious for what it is.
0: Yeah, and also, like, the player avatars are just kind of...
1: They're not good.
0: <laughs> they're kind of creepy looking. Like, yeah. if, if you land on a, on a pretty high dollar space, like, it'll they open their mouths and go like Gee. yeah which looks really weird because they're still completely static while the other two characters are clapping and the whole the whole presentation of it, it is just weird and i understand that like game tech was you know trying to make was trying to include more aspects of the game show but i feel like they got it right the first time where they they left stuff out that didn't help the video game be a better video game you know, and that's just that's just not what they're doing here. Like, the only piece of music that I think ever plays is their version of the wheel theme. There's more musical variety in the NES version, and while that isn't in the game show, that's okay because it helps this as a video game.
1: This is about as bare bones as you can get with, with you know, translating this game show into, into a video game. Like, it works, but that's mostly the only thing you can say about
0: it. Yeah. The other thing... Um that this game actually leaves out is the speed round which was uh in th- yeah, yeah which that. was in the NES version uh, it's it's okay, not a huge yeah. deal but the speed round did kind of feel like a nice change of pace for the end of the game in the NES
1: version yeah, so yeah i mean i think i think that would be helpful here cuz this does feel like you're just kind of like sort of dully going through puzzle after puzzle and then you get the bonus round and then it ends uh, after about you know 15 minutes or something it's like uh, okay but yeah the speed round I think would have helped in this so I don't really get why they didn't put it in
0: yeah th- everything about this just makes it feel like it was just a really you know really rough or, or rushed production you know it, it just doesn't feel like the kind of thought was put into this that was put into other versions that had already come before it you know and again like getting Vanna white you know while neat just does not make up for all of the things that this game lost that were in the NES version that I think would have made this a better game. And
1: yeah, I honestly don't really have much else to say about it. I don't really know what else we would say about it, frankly. It just
0: isn't as great as it probably should have been. Um, I do know that there is going to be one other version of Wheel of Fortune on the Super NES before all said and done, so Game Tech will have one more chance to redeem themselves. We'll see how that goes. Uh, that that won't be for a while because I think that game came out in '94. So we'll,
1: we'll be waiting with bated breath for uh, for that one. Uh, for now, I guess let's turn to the list and see where we can uh, uncover this one on the list. That didn't work. That was not. That didn't work. now uh, that's all. okay. That's all right. Uh, I was trying to do a transition that was related to the game. Failed.
0: Oh, uh, that, that that's okay. Here's what I'm looking at right now. Um uh-huh. I'm looking at Monopoly because yep. like Monopoly, this is a perfectly functional version of what that game of what the game it's based on is. But I don't think this does I don't think the presentation of this game is as good as Monopoly's was.
1: I think I think the production values on Monopoly were better than this. Um and I agree that this is sort of the right Area to be looking at because Monopoly was the first thing I thought of as well. It's functional but extremely bare bones, and Monopoly did actually, you know, it put a little bit ex- of extra extra spice on top of it uh, with things like its, you know, uh, animated game piece graphics and, you know, some, some of that stuff. So, yeah, so I, I would say below Monopoly, but probably not a lot below Monopoly. Honestly, I could
0: see this going a bit further now that I really think about it. Like, you look at something like the Chess Master, if we kind of stick with like the the game kind of um, or you know board game game show kind of theme like the chess master is very bare bones but it doesn't do anything that actually gets in the way of being a good chess game where i feel like all of the cuts that is a good you point. know all the cutaways in wheel of fortune you know cutting to the contestants for really no reason um actually hurts the overall presentation of this and, and just the overall flow of the game
1: yeah that's that's a really good point, actually. And given the fact that this is missing things like the speed round, which, you know, are are parts of the game it's adapting, so it's 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 a less pure adaptation of the source material than the chess master is.
0: I would say like Clue, I think, is the floor for this, because I think Wheel of Fortune works better as a video game than that version of Clue does as, you know, the game clue.
1: I would agree with that, yeah,
0: for um, sure. So Somewhere between the Chessmaster and Clue. So between those two games, so we got Chessmaster at 61, World League Soccer at 62, Super Ghouls and Ghosts at 63, and Clue at 64. Honestly, I I don't know if I would say this game is better than Super Ghouls and Ghosts. This might just get slotted right above Clue. Yeah,
1: I think this might just go right above Clue, honestly, like because I think I, I think I can say more to defend Super Ghouls and Ghosts than I can for Wheel of Fortune.
0: Yeah, I think this I think that this ends up being our new number 64. How do you feel about that?
1: I feel good about that. I think that that's a perfectly appropriate place for this pretty middling adaptation of a of a kind of honestly kind of foolproof game concept. So I I think this is a this is a decent reasonable place for that to go.
0: Yeah, so at 64, this is our highest ranked game that we've talked about today.
1: This has been a rough one. I'm not going to lie, folks. This this was uh this was a whole bunch of bad apples this time, yeah. But you know that just happens sometimes. There are a lot of games on the Super Nintendo, so sometimes we're going to run into a patch where just they're they're just not that good.
0: Yeah, and hey, you know what? At least we got some some cool information out of it. You know, we got some some interesting facts Absolutely. about RoboCop the movie and RoboCop three the movie and Wheel of Fortune and LJN and and all sorts of stuff. So hey, you know what?
1: you know i'm I'm not i'm not leaving unhappy uh you know at least at least we were able to to fill this episode up with some good knowledge if not with some good games so yeah
0: but uh hey let's uh let's let the people know what what's going to be happening next time on the show because uh i think we got some real winners here
1: i think we do um so first up We've got The Simpsons, Bart's Nightmare.
0: We already had Krusty's Funhouse. That one was all right. I'm sure this one will be just as good. I'm
1: sure it will. Then we have Super Bowling, which is... uh, bowling game. Have we had any of those on the system so far? No, I think this is the first one. All right. That's exciting. And uh, then, folks, get out your banjos, uh, get on your front porch, and get excited, because we're going to be playing Phalanx, a game that I'm sure has uh, so much to do with the weird cover image that uh, that this game was given in America.
0: Yeah, so th- that is hilarious to me, that like this game is almost solely known as being the game with the old banjo player on the cover for some reason. Has anyone actually played this? Like, will we turn the game on and like, oh, hey, we're actually greeted with a banjo player? And like, it will actually make complete sense. And like, no one's just bothered to play this game. And we've all just assumed all this time that that the banjo player yeah, is... Yeah, that
1: that was a, a complete non sequitur. Yeah, you know, I guess we're gonna find out. Uh, I certainly have never played it, and uh, yeah, you know, we will, uh, we will see.
0: We will finally unravel the mystery of the mysterious old banjo player on the cover of what I believe is a scrolling shooter. <laughs> but...
1: It is, yes, it is a scrolling shooter. Uh, I do know that much about it. So, yeah, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have lots to talk about with it next time, I'm sure.
0: So until next time, folks, thank you so much for listening. I am Steampunk Link. I am Emmy Zero. And uh, play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by TechnoAxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E.com.